The reading of the scriptures from Acts chapter 13, reading verses 1 to 12, and I invite your uh, hearing in faith and with joy that we have uh, the great privilege and blessing of reading God's word as we find it here in Acts chapter 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. You will not stop making crooked uh, the straight paths of the Lord. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind, unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, the encounter of the apostles uh, in our text this morning uh, is uh, with false religion, and false religion, uh, like Herod in civil government, poses a great threat to the church. The response of uh, Paul and Barnabas is very essential. Uh, certainly a model uh, that touches our great Savior. And uh, their response, again, crucial. It is uh, one of militant witness. They continue to witness. And again, like the threat of civil government, uh, false religion will fail too. Uh, What will prosper is uh, true witness, the grandeur and the majesty of God. There's a beautiful picture of this in uh, the last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation, uh, in the 11th chapter. It speaks of uh, two witnesses. Uh, If I recall correctly, Greg Beal in his commentary says the two are a reference to the two uncompromising churches of Revelation chapters 2 and 3. But nevertheless, I'm going to read uh, verses 3 and 4. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses. They will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. 
The lampstands are identified in Revelation chapter 1 as the church. Uh, it's really what you and I are in terms of our witness to the world. We, uh, we are a divine lampstand bearing testimony uh, to the majesty of God. A lampstand is to shine. It's to bear witness to the divine presence. It defines who we are in the grace of God. And that lampstand, again, is uh, now going forth as we will soon see, it will encounter a false religion. Well, as you know from the text, uh, this is the first missionary journey. And evil is overcome and the gospel wins. Uh, contextually, uh, we're shifting in our study of the book of Acts from uh, Peter to Paul and from Jerusalem to Antioch. And Antioch will become the staging ground for the, uh, for the missionary journeys uh, to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. Uh, if you will, they're a model of what a true lampstand is. A model for true witness. A model for us. The, uh, the text uh, begins uh, with a very inauspicious island. Uh, two inauspicious men going to two cities. And here, uh, these two men will clash uh, with uh, false witness. In verses 1 to 3, in preparation for confrontation with evil, uh, the apostles are commissioned to witness. That's very interesting because you and I know they've already been commissioned. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus commissions uh, the apostles. Uh, but they're recommissioned here, I think, at a note of solemnity because of the gravity of what is before them, uh, namely uh, bearing a true witness as true lampstands. Uh, it's interesting in the text, the uh, reminder uh, that Luke gives to us is that in Antioch there are prophets and teachers, verse 1, so that God has uh, been at work laying a new foundation, a new foundation, because the old foundation has been corrupted and the false teachers of Israel. And so he has laid a new foundation in uh, prophets and teachers. Let's look very quickly of uh, this foundation in Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, the 20th verse. Uh, a reminder to us, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Uh, it's very important because it's a reminder that a true lampstand a true witness uh, has a foundation. Any other foundation is an indication, perhaps a false witness, a false lampstand. And so again, uh, the apostles, the prophets, and Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. Uh, it's a good reminder of this foundation because everywhere uh, there are false witness who reject this foundation. It's a reminder that we must be built upon the true foundation to bear true witness of the glory and majesty of Christ. But as I suggested, it represents a failure of false religion of Israel whose teachers have corrupted the nation. It's very important to recognize their teachers failed in their mission from God and they've corrupted the nation. If you want to look at an important text to this end, the last book of the Bible, Malachi chapter 2 and verse 8, uh, there is praise of a true witness in, in Levi, but then 
turning from the true witness of Levi, uh, God sets upon the false witnesses and teachers. Uh, Hear His word, but as for you, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by the instruction. The Greek translation of the Old Testament has, you have weakened. And anytime you engage in false instruction, you weaken people. Damage them severely. So you have caused many to stumble by the instruction. You have corrupted of the covenant of Levi, who was the great true teacher. Now, of course, surpassed in the life of the church by Jesus Christ. Uh, when you engage in false witness and false teaching, you are corrupting uh, the divine covenant. Uh, so it's a reminder to us uh, of, of the danger uh, that exists even in the church today. Another uh, reminder of this, again, uh, turning to Old Testament text, Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 11, there is a picture of uh, false shepherds uh, in the midst of the people of God. Zechariah chapter 11, I'm going to read uh, uh, the last description uh, in the text of false shepherds that have come in to the covenant community. His arm will be totally withered and his right eye will be blind. In other words, he's hampered because he's not true. He's not a true witness. So God is starting over. And in this case, uh, he's starting over in the church. The church. It's a place of learning and a headquarters for evangelizing. And the men in the church are preparing for ministry uh, by ministering and fasting, verse 2. Uh, because they understand their commissioning and that it's a solemn act and so they're engaging in preparation. Uh, It's a lesson that is true witnesses for Christ. Uh, There are always seasons for preparation. And the Spirit is in the assembly and the Spirit speaks. Let's look, uh, turning back now to Acts chapter 13, the latter part of the second verse. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. It's an imperative. The church is commanded to set the two men apart uh, to go on this first great missionary journey. It's very instructive that uh, this word set apart is uh, used by the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 15. Uh, Paul says of God, but when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace... It's a picture of divine sovereignty, if you will, of divine election and the purposefulness of divine election that were set apart. Uh, Paul uses the word again in Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle. Now hear the word, set apart for the gospel. Set apart for the gospel. Uh, It's a great uh, reminder Uh, that they are uh, set apart in very solemn actions, if you will, to go into enemy country carrying the gospel. And in that sense, they're missioned by God. I understand that's not really a proper English word, missioned. But I simply use it to capture it 
uh, that uh, the work of God in setting them apart and their preparation in the life of church is purposeful. Uh, they are uh, to advance the witness of uh, the majesty of Christ. In that sense, they're given a mission to go and to proclaim, to be true witnesses. It's also an application uh, respecting uh, each one of us. Uh, if we are a true lampstand, uh, we need to understand that God has chosen us, He has called us, He has commissioned us, and He equips us uh, by His Spirit for faithful witness to expand the divine presence. All of that is the significance of the purposefulness of God's electing us in eternity past uh, to go forth and to be His witnesses. Uh, in terms of the apostolic company, but really no less true of us, grave and unknown danger awaits them. Uh, remind you of the words of uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Uh, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Man, <laughs> poor sheep don't have, a, don't have a chance. Well, uh, they do with the Spirit. Uh, but it is the, the grave danger that awaits us as the true lampstands, as true witnesses that are engaged with purposefulness uh, to uh, expand the divine presence as sheep in the midst of wolves. And so the church of Antioch, they, they fasted, they prayed, and they uh, laid their hands upon them. Then verse 3, they sent them. Uh, all of this is if you will, an act of preparation uh, because uh, the matter is serious, uh, going into uh, dangerous places as true witnesses for Jesus Christ. Uh, and in this case, they will encounter one of the great dangers of the church in false religion. Unknown to them at the time, but certainly instructed to us uh, because false religion is about us everywhere. In fact, in a moment, I will document it's even within the church, corrupting it. In verses 4 to 12, true witness advances in the face of opposition. It's very instructive they're going to win one man to the gospel. At least that's what Luke tells us. Others might have been one uh, in the journey, but uh, there's simply one in the text. It's a great illustration. Uh, we count success in America with numbers. In Luke, it's counted as true witness, bearing forth the truth, being a true lampstand. That defines success. The numbers fall to God. Only He can make the numbers. Because only He can change hearts. And only He is the true sovereign. Uh, we are to be true witnesses, but uh, the results, the numbers, the counting falls to God. Uh, it's a great illustration in our lives. Uh, maybe you will see many come to faith. Maybe you will see truth. Uh, but the numbers uh, are the product of the divine, sovereign God working. You and I are to be true witnesses. Uh, and there's a model here in our text as to uh, what that encompasses. Uh, it is noteworthy that uh, there journey will encounter opposition as a reminder to each of us that we will too. 
I'm reminded of the great missionary journeys of the 19th century. They were incredibly dangerous. In the first century of Princeton Seminary, a third of the graduates went to the foreign mission field. Most of them did not return. I mean, think simply of uh, what we're embroiled in in our country today in terms of a virus. Uh, there were no vaccines for anything in those days. Uh, and so they went to foreign lands, they encountered incredible danger, many of them perished. But they were true witnesses because they carried forth the true gospel and the truth. And our lives are in God's hands. Uh, in, in Cyprus, which was uh, the home of Barnabas, uh, Luke tells us in verse 3 that the church sent these men. And then in verse 4, so did the Spirit. And this tandem of church and Spirit is an absolute essential to true witness. The tandem is, uh, is vital because the Spirit works within the church. That's where the Spirit is manifesting His presence. That's where He commands the men to set apart Paul and Barnabas. He works within the church. That's a great reminder to us that that's the essence of true witness because the church is the lampstand. It's also essential for us to know that in true witness, the church and the Spirit are with us. In Salamis, on the east coast, they go to the synagogues and begin to proclaim the Word of God, verse 5. Compelling, repetitive theme of the book of Acts. Proclaiming the Word of God. It is uh, something of a definition of true witness. We're messengers, the Word of God is not asked us to add to it or take away from it. He doesn't need our help as if we could buttress the Word of God. Uh, that defines our witness, the Word of God. If you will, it's the message of the mission. It should be the message of Grace Bible Church as uh, a true lampstand of God, bearing forth uh, the divine presence, the majesty of God. It's a wonderful application of, of the radical importance of the Scripture in your life and your preparation to read it, to study it, uh, and then to proclaim it. It's the Word of God. And this is, of course, how you encounter evil as a true witness. Uh, the proclamation of the truth of the Word of God. Uh, and there is a powerful reminder here that... Uh, Luke has been telling us over and over again in the book of Acts. This, the Word never fails. It accomplishes everything that God purposes it, it to do. The Word advances. Uh, and that's why we know this is the definition of true witness. Martin Luther once said, uh, the Word is like a lion. All you need to do is to turn it loose. It's a good reminder. Uh, be a witness to the Word of God is uh, true lampstands. And moving west, they come to Paphos. Uh, and there, Luke tells us that they meet evil and a Jewish magician, verse 6, who was a false prophet. 
with the name Bar-Jesus, literally the son of Jesus. I mean, he's clothed with everything that is false. He has the appearance, if you will, of the son of Jesus of perhaps being true, but uh, he is a false witness. Uh, and one of the reasons or ways that we know that is because Luke describes him to us in verse 6 as a magician. And magic as a means of discovering the revelation of God was denied Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, they were not to go there. Uh, God reveals himself in Scripture, not in magic. Uh, a parallel that I like to use in our own culture is uh, people reading their horoscopes in the, in the daily newspaper. If you're a Christian, that is forbidden you. Uh, you don't learn about your future from the horoscope. Uh, it's not a place you should go. It's not something you should trifle in uh, because it tarnishes and corrupts what true witness is to be. Uh, it is really a beautiful picture of uh, syncretism, of adding something to divine revelation in terms of uh, Bar-Jesus. It was magic. And uh, we're not to add to divine revelation. It's forbidden us. We're simply to proclaim it. I understand we study it uh, but we also simply proclaim it. Even our explanation of it is a proclamation. It's, it's important to uh, remember uh, that everything is derived from God's revelation of Himself. Uh, and it's a reminder that by application, you will see false religion uh, in our culture everywhere, but tragically, uh, you will also see it in the church. Uh, because the Bible warns us repeatedly of false prophets who come into the church. And they represent, in my mind, the end-time deception foretold by the prophets. Let's, let's turn, if you would, your New Testament to 2 Peter. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. Uh, Peter, uh, Peter says to us, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there also will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Uh, it's a reminder that uh, false teachers come into the church and they spin destructive heresy. Uh, and of course, they will fail. Uh, but it's a warning to be careful because the danger comes into the church. First uh, John chapter 4 and verse 1 is another such reminder. Uh, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. John will also tell us that they've come into the church and we're to be careful. And they're, uh, they're false witnesses and they spin destructive heresies. We don't think in these terms today. Uh, we think the church everywhere is a safe place to be. Well, hopefully it is. But it may not be. Uh, and if they tolerate false teachers and false prophets, 
they are profoundly dangerous and must be rejected. And that's what's going to occur in this encounter uh, between this false prophet, uh, the magician, uh, when he clashes with Paul and Barnabas. Uh, the text is telling us that Satan is flooding the church with counterfeits. It's something we see everywhere in the scripture. Think back, for example, uh, Genesis chapter 3. The serpent comes in to the divine sanctuary and he deceives Eve. He tricks her with the word. And Adam is watching it all along and goes passive. My point is he comes into the sanctuary to deceive. And that's the repetitive story of all false teachers and prophets that come into the sanctuary to work deception. You know, when Jesus uh, sees the false teachers of Israel in his own day, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 7, he calls them a brood of vipers. Genesis 3, there was uh, one serpent. In Jesus' day, there was a brood of vipers that had come into the sanctuary. I've often uh, been troubled over the great text, uh, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Uh, Jesus says, Behold, that I stand at the door and knock. Why is he outside knocking, trying to get in? Uh, perhaps false teachers have pushed him out, accepted the false and rejected the true witness, who is Christ himself. A great reminder of this deception from uh, the great psalmist David, Psalm 55. If you'd like to turn in your Old Testament, Psalm 55, verse 21. Uh, David speaks of an enemy. Listen to his words. His speech was smoother than butter. But his heart was war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. It's simply a beautiful uh, description of deception, that deception is an act of war. And uh, false teachers come into the church to make war with the church, not physically, with uh, swords and grenades, but with trickery and false words. And false prophets and false witnesses uh, uh, now, in terms of Acts chapter 13, have gained access to the Roman proconsul. And uh, the false uh, magician uh, owns him spiritually. Uh, but God has been at work. And God is always at work. And this should be a reminder to each of us. Sometimes we think, well, the day is over. The day is lost. God is always at work. He's always gathering his own. And in this text, we read that Sergius Paulus wanted to hear the word of God. But the fake man tries to do what? Turn him from the faith. And that's what false prophets and false teachers do. They secretly turn us from the faith. Let's look at Acts chapter 13, and verse 8. But Elymas the magician, for thus his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So that sets uh, the stage of a great uh, conflict and that the apostles will confront evil as 
true witnesses, as true lampstands bearing witness of the divine presence in Jesus Christ. And Luke tells us of the Apostle Paul that he's filled with the Spirit. Literally, the text is, having been filled, that the Spirit is the controlling agent acting upon uh, the Apostle Paul. I love that text because it's a beautiful reminder that you cannot confront evil alone. Uh, Alone you will lose. You will always lose. Uh, The presence of the Spirit is manifestly critical and important. Uh, We learn in our coming to faith, our coming to the Gospel, our coming to the great Savior, Jesus Christ, we're given the gift of the Spirit. So we are not alone. The Spirit is with us. But it's a good reminder to, uh, uh, to reckon your need of the Spirit. To reckon that you, uh, you need to go with the divine presence, in this case, who is the Spirit. Because alone you will lose. Uh, and ultimately, uh, the Spirit is the sole ability to win. Because only the Spirit can change hearts. And that in and of itself is true witness. Uh, We proclaim the Word of God, but the changing of the heart belongs to the Spirit. Uh, One of the uh, important reminders that we need to have is that uh, God does not mission us to go get numbers. He gives us a mission to proclaim the truth as true witness. The getting of numbers belongs to Him. Uh, And that's another great theme in Acts that we will look at uh, in subsequent messages. So the Spirit is the ability, and we trust and look to Him. And the Spirit uses the Word. The Spirit uses the Word. I'm very fond of the great promise that Jesus gives uh, His apostles in Luke 21.15. For I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. It's the self-evident majesty of the Scriptures that we proclaim as the true witnesses of God that will prevail over false witness. The true witness uses Scripture. A beautiful picture of this is they're not in uh, the life of our Savior. Matthew 4, Jesus encounters Satan in a very physically weakened state. And he counters the devil every time in the temptation with what? Scripture. Three times. What does Christ, who is the true lampstand, use? The Scripture. Another very beautiful picture of this Uh, as it speaks to our own identity uh, from uh, the Old Testament. Uh, If you turn to the uh, book of Zechariah, second to last book of the Old Testament, uh, chapter 4. There's a picture of a lampstand. It's a context. It's all of gold. There's a bowl on top of it. Verse 3, Also two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl and the other on its left side. 
a picture of the divine presence resourcing the lampstand to bear uh, witness of the divine presence. Then I answered and said to the angel who was speaking with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And the angel says, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord, I do not. Now listen to the description of the lampstand and what uh, the oil means in terms of the witness of the life of the church. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel saying, not by might, not by my power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Let's go over that again. Not by power, nor by my, nor by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. It's a reminder that uh, when the true witness of Acts chapter 13 encounters the false witness, it's resourced by the Spirit of God. By my Spirit, says the Lord. A great reminder to us as uh, we desire to faithfully proclaim the Word of God uh, that our resource is ultimately the Spirit. But by my Spirit, says the Lord. Beautiful text uh, that you, uh, you should recount all of the time as you encounter false witness in the world, false prophets and incredible evil. That the Spirit is uh, your resource. The divine presence and the Spirit Himself. Uh, the encounter uh, begins in the first part of uh, verse 10 uh, when Paul uh, denounces the character of the magician. Let's, let's read the text, first part of verse 10, Acts 13. You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. It's a reminder uh, to us of uh, the great theological construct of total depravity that is the character of false witness. I would remind you that you're not the Apostle Paul. You need to be very careful about uh, examining people's uh, character but I think it's radically important that you recognize that when you encounter evil, this is the character you are encountering. That in and of itself should drive you to the presence of the Spirit. Uh, first, the magician is filled with deceit and fraud. Notice the contrast. Paul is filled with the Spirit. This man is filled with the spirit of deceit and fraud. If you will, he's a con man. Remember the great encounter of uh, modern-day con man Madoff tricked people out of their money in terms of millions and millions of dollars. I remember reading in the Wall Street Journal of uh, when uh, the word got out of what Madoff had been doing, that the, the message would go and uh, reach people, and they, would, of course, would shriek from horror with the knowledge that perhaps their entire life savings had been spent in a fraud. Think about that in terms of the life of the church. Because false prophets and false teachers come into the church and they're con men. That false religion is really nothing more than a Ponzi scheme that eventually runs out and people are left with nothing. Now, we don't think in those terms today. We, we've 
been imbued with the spirit of uh, toleration of everything, even error. That must not be so in the life of the church. We can tolerate it in the civil square, but we cannot tolerate it in the church. We resist it, we shun it, we push it out. Because it is profoundly dangerous as a Ponzi scheme that eventually runs out and leaves everyone bankrupt. Second, he's the son of the devil. That's his patrimony. We, we pick up something of a conceptual allusion to this uh, in John uh, chapter 8 and verse 44. Uh, Jesus is encountering the false prophets of his own age who have corrupted the sanctuary. John chapter 8, verse 44. This is what he says of them. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whatever he speaks is a lie. He speaks of his own nature, but he's a liar and the father of lies. I understand in our culture we, uh, we face uh, the message every day of uh, tolerating. Uh, on occasion, there's a place for that, uh, but not in terms of the life of the church. Uh, we are forbidden to tolerate what is false because of its nature, because it reflects uh, the character of the father of lies. And all who are false spin the lies of their father, the devil. And that's why they're to be rejected. It's a reminder to us that there's two types of men. Two seeds, two ancestries, and two messages. Christ or the devil. And that's really the clash. Bar-Jesus represents false religion. And the lesson that Luke is going to tell us is that false religion will fail. It will not prosper. There will come a time in which it will be exposed. But it's a warning to us to be very careful in terms of its presence and to reject it if it comes into the life of the church. Now, I'm reminded again of the great encounter, Genesis chapter 3. What in the world was Adam thinking when he watched his wife Eve encounter the father of lies and he takes no action? He goes passive. We cannot be passive. We're to be true witnesses to reject the false. And Paul represents the true faith. Third description of Bar-Jesus, he is an enemy of righteousness. He's an enemy. doesn't matter how he's dressed. doesn't matter that perhaps he wears a clerical collar. He's an enemy of righteousness if he bears false witness. But God is acting together His own in the Spirit and in His missionaries. Paul denounces His methods. Uh, let's look at his, his method, latter part of verse 10. Uh, Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? That's their method. Using words to make crooked the straight way of the Lord. One of the great themes of the book of Acts is the way. Christ is the way. 
Uh, we're to uh, walk in his way, not in the crooked paths of false religion and tolerating men who spend destructive heresies uh, to make the way of the Lord crooked. They represent a profound danger. We cannot tolerate them in the church. They're to be rejected. Uh, we know here that God is against him. Uh, notice what uh, Paul does when he blitzes him, verse 11. Behold, the, land, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. We bear witness to them, but only God can remove the blinders. It's a reminder of their condition. The false religion is blinded. In this case, the magician needs guides. And that's a beautiful description in and of itself of false religion. It needs guides. We have a guide in Christ and the Spirit to guide us. But in this clash, who wins? True witness wins. It prevails over false witness. It's the great story to us that uh, this is what should define us as a church. We should reject what is false. Uh, we should be true witnesses. And true witness will always prosper over the false. Great stories uh, in this, I think, in the Gospel itself. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 29, Jesus says He he comes into the house of the strong man and he binds the strong man who is Satan and plunders his house. That's the good news of the Gospel. That Christ is, even in a wicked world filled with false witness, Christ is still at work plundering the house of Satan and gathering all his own. Uh, the word bind is used uh, by John the Apostle, uh, last book of the Bible, Revelation 20. Uh, says, of, uh, says of Satan that uh, an angel comes and lays hold of him and bound him. Same verb as the Matthew text. Bound him for a thousand years so that Jesus can plunder his kingdom. And the point of the binding is that he can no longer deceive the nations. That Christ in the greatness and the majesty of his power has limited the devil from deceiving the elect of God uh, so that they can be gathered by Christ in the great power of the Spirit in the agency of the true witness which is the church. It's, a, if you will, a macro view of the majesty and the power of God as to how you came to faith. Before you knew Jesus Christ, the great serpent was deceiving you. And then in the majesty of God, Christ comes and He saves you in His power. He has bound Satan to prevent him from deceiving the nations that he might plunder His kingdom. On a macro scale, that's the majesty of God at work in the world, gathering His own through true witnesses. 
like the witness of uh, the lampstand, the golden lampstand with the two olive trees on either side of Zechariah chapter 4. Reminder, it's by the Spirit of God that empowers our witness to prevail over the false. Beautiful picture of this uh, in uh, the Gospel of John. Uh, John chapter 10. Uh, I read in that chapter, verses 26 uh, to 28. I'm sure it's a very familiar text to you but nonetheless a reminder of the great witness who is Christ. Notice what he says of the false witnesses of the Pharisees and Sadducees. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. The power, the majesty of the resurrected Christ calling His sheep, gathering His sheep, enabling them to believe, sealing them for eternity. I love the phrase that no one is able to snatch them out of thy hand. False witness will attempt throughout our lives, uh, but we are protected by the power of God. And Satan cannot get at us uh, because the Spirit is with us. If you're not a Christian, it's a reminder to hear the words of uh, the Savior. Follow the voice of Christ. The word of true witness. Flee to Him. Sue for peace. And come to believe upon Him whom to know is to know life everlasting and eternal safety from the power of the devil. He is the true witness. And uh, we should imitate Him uh, in all that He does. And so, again, Paul blitzes the false prophet. God wins. He is blinded. You and I have Christ in spirit as our guides. It's the Gospel of itself uh, to come to Christ. Come to safety. Come to that which is true and beautiful that will survive the vagaries of the times and the continual assaults on the church of false witness, but that we, by the power of the Spirit, will remain true because the Savior was true to us in gathering us. It's a great model, this text is. A model of true witness. Think about it in terms of the summary of the text. The church is preparing for a missionary work. That's true witness. Preparation is so vital because of the dangers. Uh, the Spirit of God sets apart. Uh, he calls and equips the apostolic company. Uh, they go into the world to encounter evil and a false prophet. Uh, that takes in and of itself incredible preparation. Uh, but of course, an ultimate reliance upon the Spirit of God. That is a model uh, for victory as the true lampstand. The lampstand of Revelation 11. God's true witnesses. And so, 
the Gentile proconsul is snatched into the kingdom. Luke tells us in the 12th verse of Acts 13 that he believed, amazed at the teaching. Uh, I love that text because we should be amazed at the teaching of the majesty of the Word of God. That one of the principal agencies of means that God has given to the church is to bear witness, true witness of the Word of God. And evil and its false witness lose. Sooner or later they will lose. They will be overcome. They've already lost in the fact that the God of this world has blinded them. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Think about it in terms of your own redemption. That you were blind, but in the gospel, God opened your eyes, enabled you to believe and to come to the Savior. The majesty of the grace of God. How dependent we are every day as true witnesses upon the majesty and the simplicity and the beauty of the grace of God in opening our eyes. I mean, the great hymn, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Coming to the Savior, the veil is listed. So the model is our Savior. His message his victory, his power, and his people to expand the divine presence in true witness. May it be our model, and may God in his grace enable us to be just that. True witnesses of the great and only God in Jesus Christ.